the message series called Strange Things, based upon uh, the uh, Netflix series called Stranger Things. Not anywhere closely related to it. Just happens to use the name of it. But we do want to talk about these strange things over the next several weeks. We started last week with the uh, eight miracles listed in John, the first eight that's go that he goes through. And he talks about these with a, a center of importance on each one. So we're going to dig into the second one this week, following up on the first one that Pastor Greg did last week. So let's pray before we get into that. God, thanks so much for loving us and for allowing us to be here this morning. I uh, pray that the word will just come through me. You'll use me as a vessel to um, just everyone to get something, get a truth out of the word that's spoken, an understanding from you and the power that you have through your son that you sent here onto earth to live that perfect life and show really how much you love us. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. So, yeah, a little disclaimer in that, uh, and I'll try to make this a point uh, quite a few times in the fact that anything goes wrong, yeah, it's my fault. Anything goes right, it's his uh, doing. So we'll continue to uh, on that theme. But as we introduce today's story, let's think about uh, who else been to Niagara Falls? Anybody been there personally? Okay, if you've been there personally, you know the pictures don't do it justice. That's why I, I was contemplating actually having some pictures, some family photos from when we went a couple years ago, put up on the screen, or even some stock photos off of Google or whatever. But it doesn't really do it justice on how magnificent, how powerful, how noisy, how just extravagant the falls really are. More so on the Canadian side than they are on the New York side. And they've grown to the maturity that they are now uh, over the years. But even back in the mid-1800s, they were still pretty magnificent in how they were developed and how they were formed and what they looked like, much like today. So in the mid-1800s, back in 1859, July, the same month as a matter of fact, there was a man that named Charles Blondin, and I believe I'm saying his name right. He was a performer. He was a guy that liked to... Um, do extravagant appearances, and a lot of times there were stunts and different things like that. Uh, mainly what he did was he was a tightrope walker, so you can see where this is going. So he goes up in July of 1859, stretches a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and gets all the promotions and the announcements about it, and big crowd gathers. They estimate roughly around 100,000 people were there to watch Charles make his trek across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Nope, not happening. I can't, I can't do it. I don't even want to think about it because it's, ugh. first of all, the water thing, and then also just trying to balance on that, on that cord. It's not, not my thing. But he gets up there with no problem, and he says, who wants to see me cross the falls? And a lot of them are like, yeah, yeah, cool, because they know that he could probably do it. Others are like, yeah, sure, let's, you know, give me some popcorn, whatever. We'll watch the, watch the guy do his stunt. And he just walks across the falls with no problem. All 1,100 feet across the falls. 160 foot above the roaring waters. No problem. Yeah. Yep. Then he gets across and he says, all right, let's, uh, let's up the ante a little bit. Who wants to see me do it blindfolded? Yeah, yeah, we know you can do it. We can do it. You can do it. You can. And they're cheering and they're rooting him on like they know that he can do it. I mean, they, they really believe that he can do it. All right, so he puts his money where his mouth is, and sure enough, blindfolded, 
crosses across the falls, no problem. All right, now that ain't good enough. Let's take it up another step. Who wants to see me? Who believes? He doesn't, he doesn't even say who wants to see me. He asks, who believes that I can go across pushing a wheelbarrow? And of course, cheers are going, oh yeah, we believe, we believe. And they're all excited that he can do it. Now mind you, the wheelbarrows that we have nowadays are technologically advanced, or supposed to be, over what they had back then in the rickety versions of the mid-1800s. You can only imagine how wobbly and just awkward that thing would be compared to what, you know, like the one you would buy at Lowe's or Home Depot today. He gets up there. They believe in him. He takes that wheelbarrow and pushes it right across. No problem. Oh, that isn't good enough. All right. Who wants to see, who believes I can cross the falls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a wheelbarrow. Oh, we know you can do it. We know you can do it. With somebody in it. Oh, yeah, definitely. We know you can do it. We believe you. Yeah. All right. Who's riding in the wheelbarrow? Crickets. Nobody. But they all believed before that. Oh, yeah, we believe you could do it. We believe you could do it blindfolded. We believe you could uh, do it with a wheelbarrow. We believe that you can do it with somebody in it, just not me. Huh. How often does that sound like our faith in God? We know that God is there. We know he's powerful. Or we understand that he has these powers. We know that Jesus even came to the earth and we read stories of him and his healing powers and his other things that he did, the miraculous signs that he performed. But are we really worth, I mean, are we really there ready to put our, so to speak, money where our mouth is? Are we ready to really say with conviction and even participate in a miracle of that stature? His ability, Jesus' ability, to do something beyond a certain strange, what we consider a strange thing, pushing a person in a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls, is on a larger scale because it pertains to our spiritual health and our physical health and all, just basically our eternity, our salvation to eternity. So the main takeaway that we're going to look at this morning is, as if you're taking notes, is we must believe without seeing. That's the whole thing that we need to really make sure that we leave with this morning, is believing without seeing. Because as believers in Christ, we have a base knowledge of knowing that God loves us because God sent his son here for us, lived the perfect life, died for our sins even though he didn't have to, rose three days later, so he defeated death, and allowing us, if we believe in him, to experience eternal life with God the Father. That simple knowledge right there, having that, we should be able to, as believers, walk blindly in understanding that God can do anything. God should be able to take care of any problems we have, any issues, whatever the case may be. Now, how he answers them is up to him and according to his grand plan. But do we actually have the faith in the fact that he can do those things? So in taking a look, today's scripture, we're going to be in John chapter 4. So we're moving ahead two chapters from last week. And we're going to start in verse 46. 
And it reads there, and it'll also be on the screen for you. Then he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So John opens up the story, first of all, by referencing that he's now, Jesus is in the same place or nearby where he performed his first miracle. So he's kind of made a full circle of sense and done some travels. Now in his first miracle, people witnessed with their eyes, and that's key. That's why John references this, is for us to remember that people saw a miracle happen. They witnessed and believed. Now, later on, before this, but after the first miracle, Jesus had roamed through Galilee, near to where he was from, and he went and he actually spoke to some people, known as the Samaritans, nearby in Samaria, and talked to them, and based upon his word, just hearing, they believed. So what's happened up to this point is there are different ways of where people have accepted and understood the power of Jesus Christ by not only seeing something happen, personally being there, but also hearing Jesus speak specifically and just believing him on his word. Now, when we look at things happening as far as just seeing to believe, just seeing, we can see that the Jewish people already are 0 for 1 in believing without seeing. They had to see the miracle of the water into wine, and then boom, okay, they, they, were, they were good. But the Gentiles, or the Sumerians, right, people that weren't of the Jewish heritage, they were one for one because they heard Jesus speak the word of truth, and they believed. So John is setting up the story right now to really show, okay, who all is open to this story? Well, anybody. Now, a man comes up, a Roman or a what they call a, a royal official. We believe probably he's of the the Roman lineage of somehow, some way. He's not a Jewish guy. Um, that position typically wasn't held by a Jewish person. So we can extrapolate really from just the way that John words it, uh, a royal official, that he was of either Roman or at least a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. So this guy, not being of Jewish culture, culture being in a prominent position also, kind of takes a risk kind of steps out. This is important to understand because for two reasons. First, it shows the importance of today's message that we're going to build on later, that we can believe without seeing because this guy makes this journey all the way to Jesus and he's never seen Jesus do a miracle. He's only heard of it. Then the second one that we want to write down right now for a main point is Jesus accepts all who believe in him. This salvation, the healing power, the power of Jesus altogether is open to everyone. And that's something for us to take away from this. Jesus was setting the tone for his time on earth 
at that point and now all the way up through today and even beyond that anyone that accepts him and believes in him is open to his, to his salvation. Romans 29.30 says, Or is God for Jews only? And this is Paul writing to the Romans, just kind of questioning them on their belief of, you know, hey, who all is open to salvation? Is he not also for Gentiles? Yes, the, for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jewish people, and the uncircumcised by the same faith. In other words, it doesn't matter where you're from. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Jewish, Gentile. Uh, Tennessee, Alabama. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Everyone is open. Even me. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and God accepted me. So that's proof that he'll take anybody. Amen? I know I'm getting one probably right there, right? So, the official had faith, despite his background and his heritage, that Jesus would work a miracle for his son. This dad walked all this way for his son to be healed. And as a parent, and I know parents in here, or even grandparents, you think about your kids or your grandkids. Would you not do anything, anything, for the healing of your child? If they were sick, and you knew you could do something, there was something outlandish that you could do, somehow, some way, to save your kid from death, you would do it. And he did it. He put his job on the line. His career was pretty much up for, really, d destruction because he was stepping out into belief of this Messiah that he could do these healings. He put his reputation on the line, so even if he lost his job, he couldn't go anywhere else or do anything else because he had no reputation at that point because he went out to this guy proclaiming to be the Son of God. He even put his life on the line, maybe by persecution. So he took a big step out. And if we see at the end of verse 47, the man pleaded with Jesus. When we read that, he pleaded with Jesus to come back to his house and heal his son. When it says right there in 47, uh, when this man heard that Jesus came from Judea and Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son. Now that's also key in the fact that he's asking him to come back home. He was specific in what he's asking Jesus for. And he pleaded. So let's move on in the story and read verse 48. Jesus told him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, that was rude. This guy just came all this way and exhibited this faith that Christ could heal his son. And he says, Unless you people see that I can do a miracle, you're not going to believe it. Man, if I was that guy, I was, I'd be kind of put off by that. He had walked from his location in Jerusalem, near Jerusalem, this royal official, approximately 20 miles. That's about the distance to where Jesus is at this point. He's walked 20 miles, roughly 16 hours, to chase down the Messiah and get help from him to heal his son. A quote from Martin Luther reads, Reason must be diluted. This guy put all reason aside. It must be diluted, blinded, and destroyed. Faith must trample underfoot all reason, sense, and understanding, and whatever it sees must be put out of sight and 
know nothing but the word of God. This guy knew nothing but the word of others to say that Jesus can heal. That's all he heard. That's all he believed. That's all he needed to believe. And he stepped out on that faith to go all that way, leaving his dying son on his deathbed to travel 16 hours over an anguishing trip, because you know mentally that's got to be breaking him down, to go ask Jesus, hey, come and heal my son. But if we look at that response, it wasn't really so crude after all. Because you look at it a little closer and you see how Jesus was using the dad's question to make a point to the crowd. He was actually taking this opportunity to illustrate something. He wasn't just saying to the dad, you won't understand because you haven't seen a miracle, so you don't know that that can happen. He's referencing you people. So when he answers, we can imagine basically the guy being right here next to Jesus and then Jesus answering him, looking out above, speaking for all to hear. And even if he did just speak directly to the dad, every word that Jesus spoke was hung on. Every word that Jesus spoke was held under persecution and dissection and, and just looking, nitpicking, ready to tear him apart to disprove him as the Son of God. But he took this opportunity to answer that way. Now, also, it may have been a little test for the dad. We can look at it that way. All right, you came all this way to ask me this question, and now I'm going to test you and just answer no initially. You ever put in an insurance claim, a health insurance claim? What's their first response typically when it comes to surgery or something major? No. So Jesus was re really, he was acting like, you know, United Healthcare or Blue Cross Blue Shield. He was just saying no right off the bat, if we think of it in that way. Was he really testing him? That may have been a part of it. And did he really pass the test, the man? Well, we can see that he kind of passed the test because we look further in the scripture and we see that he just doesn't settle for no. He's not going to take no for an answer. He's not just going to leave and say, well, I guess because I didn't see anything and believe that you couldn't do it, then no, all right, I'm going to go ahead back home. And again, as a parent or a grandparent, and you have children, you've got someone that you love that you're willing to fight for their life, you aren't going to give up that quickly either. You're going to plead. You're going to stick around and make sure that really, hey, I'm here. I'm going to get this guy to do something. And that's what he does. And as we read verses 49 through 50, continuing in John, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. 50, go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. So did his appeal to work? I mean, at this point in the story, we don't know. Did, did the man's final plea, did, he, did, it, did it work? Because he just left. God, or Jesus told him, just go. Your son will live. We can look at this a couple different ways. Was Jesus just too busy? Because on his journey, uh, he didn't want to throw off his travel plans, right? He's got, okay, well, I've got to be here at this time. And, you know, he's got probably a disciples lined up next to him, just like, you know, uh, maybe a politician nowadays or somebody of importance. 
and they've got their, their assistants next to them. Okay, you've got to be here at this time, and you've got to be here at this time, and you've got to be here at this time. Pastor Greg knows about that because he's got his entourage that follows him all week, and you've got to be here at this time, this time. And that's what they're dictating. Is that part of the reason why Jesus says, hey, I don't have time to go there. I've got something else going on, so I'm just going to heal him from here. Or was it the fact that maybe this was another test of the dad? To say, hey, I'm not going to come there in healing. I'm healing him from right here, so do you believe that? If you turn around and go right now without questioning me, you'll be good. So was it another test? Or could it be maybe the third option? Jesus was just merely showing off. He was like Babe Ruth coming up to the plate and pointing the bat and saying, here's where I'm going to hit the home run, and he hits it. Was he just saying, hey, watch this. I'm going to heal this kid from here. 20 miles away. I don't even have to be in the same room, but I'm going to heal him from here. Y'all ready for this? Watch this. This is, this is cool. Check this out. One of those three, or maybe possibly a mixture of them, could be true. Jesus does have a plan and effect while he's here on earth because he lived a short, roughly 33 years. The first 30 of them or so was really preparation for his ministry, even though he had already had all of eternity before then to get ready. But here on earth, 30 years preparing for the three years of ministry that he was doing, going around healing, showing his powers, speaking to people. So he had a plan. Even we look at the, the miracle that Pastor Greg talked about last week, and he said, woman, why have, are you bothering me? My hour hasn't yet come. He had a plan for the years, for the time that he was going to spend on earth. So maybe that was part of his response to say, I want you to go and leave me, and I'm going to heal him from here. Or could it be the fact that are we really... Are we really sincere in our petitions to God? When we pray to God, when we have something we're lifting up as a prayer request, as for healing, for anything, are we really 100% sincere about it? Like, in other words, I believe, whatever you tell me to do, I believe I can do it, I'll do it, and you're going to answer that prayer. Because sometimes, and I think I can speak for everybody in here, I know I'm speaking for me, we second-guess God we second guess that he can actually do this miracle or he can do that miracle. He can actually heal you. He can actually get you this job. He can actually get you the food that you need on your table at this point in time. He can help you pass that test to go on through school. He can help you with this or that. Are we really 100% dead on sincere with our request to God that he can actually do those? Or... Was it maybe just time to reveal how powerful he really was? Not so much as showing off, but also, but really illustrating to say, it doesn't take me being in the same room as this kid to heal him, but more so as a metaphor or an illustration to say that I don't care where you are in life, I don't care how deep you are, I don't care how, how drunk, how addicted, how broken, how bruised, how far gone you are in, in, in prostitution or sex or drugs or, or whatever else the case may be wherever you are in life it does not matter even though i'm here i can reach you there is that what he's saying or is it a combination of all three that's my takeaway 
my personal conviction is that, yes, all three of those were true. He did have a plan he wanted to stick to. He also did want to test the dad to say, okay, you've come this far, and you've questioned me a second time, but now I'm going to send you and not even, you're not even going to see it. You're going to have to go blindly on faith to make sure that your boy's healed. And also the fact to say, I don't care where you are in life. I don't care how far separated you are or you think you are from me. I can still reach you. And that's what he did. Now, granted, the crowd didn't rush over to the guy's house and go and see if he was healed because they're still wanting to hang around Jesus. They're not willing to make that 20-mile trek back to see if he actually performed the miracle. So they're still there, but the guy had left. And the guy acted just the way Jesus told him to do. Without doubt, because it doesn't show any hesitation. It doesn't show any de- uh, doubt. It doesn't show any remorse in his decision to go ask Jesus. It doesn't show anything it, except the fact that he went. So that puts us to the same position today as what we should do like that dad did. And putting your belief into action makes faith. We can believe in our heads all that we want to. We, I believe this can happen. I believe that can happen. I believe whatever the case may be. I believe that Tennessee can win another champion, national championship. I can believe it in my head all I want, but I'm actually, am I actually going to exhibit it? Am I actually going to live that out? When we live that out, when we take that step and physically demonstrate that, that's where faith comes into play. Anybody can believe anything, but do you have the faith to go with it by putting it into action. We recall that story of Charles Blondin. If Jesus told you to climb in the wheelbarrow with him, would you do it? If he told you, if you climb in this wheelbarrow and I push you across this tightrope across Niagara Falls, but your son's life depended on it, would you do it? We probably would. Why wouldn't we do the same thing for our own salvation? For our own eternities, our own eternal security with God? Why wouldn't we do it for healing when we question God to say, hey, I need help with this? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The dad took the belief in his mind into the reality of faith right there in verse 50 where he said he believed. Now when it says he believed, it's key right there because what happens is when it reads, the man believed what Jesus said to him. When we look at that word, that word is actually noted 98 times in, the, in John. All throughout the Gospel of John, 98 different times that word believed is put into play. That word is actually translated from Hebrew as, just let me get this right, and I'm going to mess this up. Do you know how, how to say that? Piscuto? No, that's, huh? Sure, okay, right. Um, it's actually, <laughs> I think I'm saying that right. Pistuo, that's right, there's no seeing it. Pistuo. And it literally means believing. When it's used all 98 times, it's used as an action. It's never used as a noun. Again, I have belief, 
And that's fine. That's that noun part. But are you putting it into action? Our believing has to be an action. It can't just be a doubt or a hesitation. Let's move on to John 4, 51 through 53 here. As the story continues, while he was still going down talking about the man, his slaves met him saying that this boy was alive, that his boy was alive. He asked him at what time he got better. Yesterday at 7 in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. Has anybody ever heard of, I'm sure, now I'm going to go old school, really show my age here. Ronnie Millsap, country singer? Oh, yeah, there we go, cool. All right. So Ronnie Millsap, he was a blind country singer, played piano like nobody's business. The guy was awesome. And I'd seen him in concert about probably four times or so when I was growing up. And he was neat. He always had these little annex that he would play because he'd, have his, he'd always have his keyboard set sideways, right? So he could, he could well, I say see the crowd, but, you know, he, so they could see him. And he's sitting here and he's playing. And what would happen is he, he would go up and before the show, before anybody was in there, he would actually step out on the stage how far he was, left, right, front, as far as the position of the piano. So he would do this little deal where he'd be playing one time and he'd get up and he'd be singing or talking in his microphone and he'd be, actually most of the time he'd be singing a song and he'd be walking and of course, you know, he's Blind as a bat, and he gets all the way up to the front of the stage, and he's getting ready, to, and his background singer's over here getting ready to reach out and grab him, and he'd take that step, and then he'd turn around, and he'd go back. And everybody's like, oh, you know, he's up to the front of the stage. Of course, he's already had that planned out, right? Or uh, he would make the little joke. He's sitting there, and he's playing on his piano, and uh, yeah, at the beginning of the show, oh, sorry, I'm sorry we're late, guys. You know, uh, the driver got sick, so, you know, I had to drive the last two hours in, so it took us a little extra longer to get here. And he was funny about it. The trip back home that this dad took could not be rehearsed. It couldn't be prepared for. And it definitely was no joke to him. He had 16 hours to mull over whether or not Jesus had really healed his son. He had just went and done his final grasp for help and laid it 100% on the line just for Jesus to heal him. And went back home hoping that was it. 16 hours not knowing if your flesh and blood, your son, was going to be alive or not when you got back home. The anxiety of that journey. Bruce Springsteen actually had a quote once that says, Blind faith in your leaders or anything will get you killed. Man, I'm glad he wouldn't stream uh, the boss on his iPhone on the journey back and listening to that quote. I'd lose all hope thinking that. That's pretty depressing. Hopefully he was reciting something more along the lines of what the disciples were requesting of Jesus as far as understanding really how important faith is. And we look in Luke 17, 5 where it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They just simply asked, hey, increase our faith. That's what I think the, the father was thinking the whole way back. That dad was saying, help me keep the faith, help me keep the faith. I, had, I put it in you, and I know I've got to get there, and I know he's going to be well. 
So was he anxious and fearful the whole way back? Or did he have excitement? Did he have joy? Did he have just an unending hope that when he got there, his son was going to be well, or at least getting better? After all, the Messiah just told him that his son was going to live. Well, the dad didn't even make it all the way home. According to what we read, he's probably about halfway, and his servants met him with the good news that his son was alive. What a relief. What a blessing. And then just to prove the fact that the, the dad asked him, okay, well, that's cool, but at what time did he start getting better? And they answered, it's route around actually 1 o'clock in the afternoon is when he said that. And they said, oh, yeah, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon is when he get, got better. Well, that's funny because that's about the same time I asked Jesus that question. And so there was the proof to understand that the healing power of Jesus through the blind faith of the dad was what got him better. We read in John 4.54, as we wrap up that passage, this therefore was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. John closes with that simple conclusion, hey, this was the second miracle performed by Jesus, sort of like a, a the end for the passage. He wanted to cut it off. He wanted to sep separate it. Just like he opened the story with saying, here's what happened before, now we're starting this one. We're closing this one. He wanted to make sure this story stood on its own so much that we were able to grasp something out of it. He didn't want to have a continuation of this story as a run-on into something else and us lose sight of really what we should be getting out of this. He wanted us to be able to see this passage on its own for what it's worth, that we really need to dial in on this. There's no connection with the front as far as like just bleeding into it, no, no ending where it just runs into another story. He clearly makes this distinction that this one stands on its own for something special. And what is that special? What is that, that, that little thing that we should get, that aha moment that we should get out of reading this? And I believe it's this. I believe it's a question that we need to ask ourselves that says, how strong is your belief and are you willing to act on it? How strong is your belief and are you willing to act on it? We don't have to walk 16 hours to show our faith. We really don't have to do a lot to show our faith. It doesn't take much. If you look back in Matthew 17, verse 20, it says, For I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that God can't do if we have that faith. That father exhibited that faith. It was beyond a mustard seed. I mean, that was, golly, it was more like a pumpkin seed. It was a pretty big one. The fact that he left his son on his deathbed and journeyed 16 hours to hang his hopes on the guy that he thought was the Messiah to say, heal my son. That's a big deal. What's your request of God? What do you have your hopes hung on right now? What do you, what do you think that God might be able to do, but you're really not sure? What do you hope that God can do, but you're really not for certain.
maybe it's not just automatic healing. Maybe it comes in the form of like, you know, Brother Randy there, he is just praying, not that his back would be healed, but just, hey, help me find the person that can do that, which thankfully so far he did with a chiropractor. Sometimes it's not in the form of what we understand with, hey, okay, now I'm done. That's good. <laughs> wow. So that's what it boils down to. Whatever your question is of God, whatever it is, are you certain that God can do it? Are you, pos- are, you, are you willing to bet everything? Are you willing to climb in that wheelbarrow to say that, God, I know you can do this through my blind faith because I know that you are God and that's all I need and you're going to perform that miracle, whether it be healing, whether it be whatever. Are we that for certain? And I pray that we are. The band's going to come forward and as they come forward, we're going to bow our heads for a minute and we're going to pray over two things specifically. First and foremost, maybe pray over the fact that you don't know what your eternal security is. But maybe right now at this point, you do know that you are broken from God. God's perfect. And the only way we can have association with him the only t- only way we can have that relationship with him is through Jesus Christ and at this point right now you've heard enough in your life whether it was just through this morning or, or over time things have built up enough to where you can say God I know you can save me and at this very moment right now you're able to say God, I'm ready. I, I, I don't deserve it, but I know you can save me, and I want you to save me. That simple question, not walking 16 hours, not doing something crazy, it's just that simple acknowledgement to him to say, um, I've messed up, I'm, broke, I'm separated from you, but I want to be with you, and I want to follow your son. That's it. That faith, that belief into action through that question to him, can save you. Maybe it's the fact that you've already done that. You've done it either yesterday, you did it last month, last year, several years ago. But we haven't been living up to our full understanding of what God can really do. God saved you already from death. What makes us think that he can't do anything else? We should be able to go through life knowing full well that God can do anything. Why aren't we praying like that? Why aren't we acting like that? Putting our belief into motion. It's time for us to step up and start acting that way. God, thank you for this time. This truth that you give us through John's writing on this second miracle, this strange thing that really nobody witnessed except for the servants there at the house whenever the boy was healed. And the fact that when the dad got home, that his boy was well. There wasn't a big crowd there. But it was the message of all the steps along the way that we can relate to through our own journeys in life. 
that all we have to do is believe in you and put that belief into action. We just have to ask you. Sometimes you might ask something of us, like your son told the man, go. And that's all he did. He just had to go back home. But whatever that is, we're willing to do. Give us that courage. Give us that hope. That understanding, that assuredness, that 100% knowing that it's going to happen. Lord, thank you for those that made, made that decision this morning to give their life to you. To ask for that salvation. As a matter of fact, God, right now what we're going to do is we're going to ask those that maybe that have made that decision with nobody, everybody else is praying, everybody else's heads down, but they're just going to simply lift their hands up. And they're going to say, God, I finally made that, that decision. God, I, I, I know that I'm broken, but I have complete faith that you'll save me. And for anyone that did, thank you that they have that assuredness now. And for those in here, Lord, that we just pray that we'll have the strength to go on and have that faith in situations where we need you where we want you, where we need your power. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the miracles that you've done, that you're doing right now, and that you're going to continue to do. Thank you for your son, the example he set, and all that you've given us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.